In the last message, we saw how the Lord takes it on himself to watch over the city. There's something very strange, however, in Psalm 127, verse 1, the second part. Listen to these words. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now notice here that we have the Lord watching over the city, and we have a watchman who is staying awake at night watching over the city. That immediately brings up the question, if the Lord is watching over the city, then why do we need a watchman at all? Could we not simply leave the gates open and trust the Lord to watch over us? If we put a watchman at the gate when the Lord tells us that he's watching over us, are we not demonstrating that we're not trusting the Lord? As Solomon writes these words, he, he, he doesn't tell us that the watchman is unnecessary. In fact, on the contrary, he was the one to send these watchmen to the city gate, and he expected that these watchmen be alert and watching out for the enemy. And as a king, he would certainly punish those who were negligent on the job. Now, while Solomon placed watchmen at the city gates, he also knew that if it was the will of the Lord to punish the city, no watchman could stop it. He recognized the need of these watchmen for the Lord's strength and wisdom to carry out the task. But if the favor of the Lord was on the city, Solomon also knew that God would strengthen these watchmen and give them the alertness required. And this brings up a key point for our consideration here. What is the connection between God watching over the city and the obligations of the watchmen? Or to make it more general, what is the connection between our efforts for the kingdom of God and the Lord's enabling and the Lord's purpose? Well, let's take a moment here in this context, in the context of Psalm 127, verse 1, to consider this question. Some time ago, I was in India speaking with a Christian pastor. He knew that I was a Christian writer who wrote Bible study material, and so our conversation was loosely based on that topic. He didn't have much as far as Bible study materials were concerned, but that did not overly concern him. In fact, as we conversed, I came away from that conversation with the sense that he was telling me, I really don't need to study too much. The Spirit of God will show me what He wants me to know and to say. And that conversation was an eye-opener for me, and I had to reflect some time on it. And in many ways, as I think about it now, it would be, it would be like the watchman saying, I don't need to be watchful, scanning the horizon for signs of the enemy. The Lord will protect us. Or he might say, I think I'll take a nap. If the Lord wants to warn the people of coming danger, he'll wake me up in time. Now, I'm convinced that Solomon, who believed that unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain, I'm convinced that Solomon would be the first to punish any watchman who would dare fall asleep on the job. Now, will the Spirit of God lead us in what we are to say? 
Of course he will. He will lead us and direct us in many different ways. But consider the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his son in the Lord, when he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. Paul encourages Timothy to be very disciplined in his personal life and in the handling of the word of God. All of this required careful study and a disciplined life. And the only way you can correctly handle the word of truth is by knowing it and spending time in it and studying it. And Paul expected nothing less of Timothy than to be a good student of the word of God. And he was to be very diligent in study and application of that word to his life. There's a place for letting the spirit of God lead us. And and we must allow the spirit of God to lead us. But let me say two things here about this. Knowing the Word of God is a safeguard and confirmation of the Spirit-led words we speak and the leading of God's Spirit. Knowing the Word of God is a safeguard for us. If we want to confirm what we feel the Spirit of God is leading us to say or to do, we must verify it by the Word of God. All too many words or actions have been attributed to the leading of the Spirit of God, but they are not in agreement with the inspired Word of God. And so, yes, we must be directed and led by the Spirit of God, and yes, we must be diligent in the study of God's Word. So first, Knowing the Word of God is a safeguard and, and confirmation of the Spirit led, of, of the leading of the Spirit. But second, the Spirit of God often uses the knowledge He gives us in the study of His Word and the application of that Word to proclaim the truth and to minister in His name. The Spirit of God uses our careful study of the Word, and it is those truths that he teaches us as we discipline ourselves in the study of his word that he will communicate through us to his people. So we need as believers to be led of the spirit, but we also need to be disciplined in our study of the truth of God's word and disciplined in our spiritual lives. William Carey was a missionary to India, lived in the latter part of the 1700s and into the early 1800s. And uh, as he was considering feeling the call of God on his life to go to India, we have a situation that is recorded for us of his attempt to bring this matter to the attention of the clergy of the day. And this is what is recorded here. Let me just read this for you. At a minister's meeting, he, that's William Carey, proposed that they consider whether the command given to the apostles to evangelize all nations is binding on all succeeding ministers to the end of the world, seeing that the accompanying promise is of equal extent. The command is, go and teach all nations. The promise is, lo, I am with you, even to the end of the world. And so the question that William Carey posed is this, has anyone 
the right to leapfrog with the command and then hug the promise. Now listen to the response that was given to William Carey as he asked that important question of whether they needed to be faithful to this command of Jesus to evangelize the whole world. This is what it says. J.C. Ryland was merely expressing the universal attitude of the church when he impatiently interrupted Carey and exclaimed, Sit down, young man. Sit down and be still. While God, when God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting either you or me. And so Carey sat down. But a vision of faraway lands and multitudes in darkness haunted his soul, and he could not be still. The words of that elder leader to William Carey are, are striking. God is the watchman. He doesn't need you. And while those true, those words had the appearance of wisdom, they do not reflect the truth of Scripture. Consider the words of Paul to the Romans in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? And so Paul's telling them, the, the Romans, how can the unsaved call on someone they've never heard about? And, and how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can they go unless they're sent? God has chosen to make us a vital part of what he is doing on this earth. God sends us to preach the good news of the gospel. God sends us to stand watch at the gate. God sends us. But not only does God send us, he also equips us. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so God gives various gifts to the body, and each believer has a spiritual gift given to them by God. And the reason he gives those gifts is for us to use them for the service and in the service of the kingdom. And he has particularly qualified you for a ministry, and the challenge is for us to find that role and use it. God has gifted watchmen for the purpose of watching the city. 
Now, there's something else that Scripture teaches. Not only does God send us, and not only does He qualify us, but He also places us in circumstances or brings circumstances to us where we can use the gifts and the calling that He has given to us. Consider the case of Esther in Esther chapter 4. She had become queen in Persia, and the story of how that happened is a, is a miraculous one in and of itself, how God put her in that circumstance. But God put her in the palace and gave her favor with the king at a time when there was a plot to kill all the Jews in the land. And Esther hesitated to get involved in this matter until her uncle, who had brought her up, sent her a message. And listen to the message that her uncle, Mordecai, gives to her in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. This is what he says. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for, for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And you, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Her uncle told her that he believed God would deliver them from this evil plot to destroy his people. But he also told her, to consider that maybe God had put her in the king's palace for that very, very reason. And the answer of God and the solution of God to this evil plot was found in Esther. She was the one that God would use because he had put her in the right place at the right time. She would be the one to deliver and bring this release for her, her people. God would bring about deliverance for his people. But Esther failed to understand or even imagine that she was the one through whom he would do it. Yet God orchestrated the circumstances, placed her in that particular situation at that particular time for a purpose. So the God who calls, the God who equips, also provides us with circumstances and people for with whom and to whom we can minister. In John chapter 15, we discovered that there is an intimate connection between God and his people. And there's no better illustration than what we read here in John 15 and verses 4 to 6, which says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The strength of the vine, the branch. The strength of the vine flows to the branch in order for it to produce fruit. The branch in and of itself could never produce fruit. It needs to be connected to the vine. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
unless the Lord produces fruit, we cannot of ourselves. The watchman is the instrument God uses to protect a city. Now, God is not bound to use that watchman alone. He could use any number of ways to protect the city, but he has given the watchman the task and the gifts and the callings. And he has given you gifts and callings as well. And he has orchestrated circumstances in your life for a reason. And he has placed a passion on your heart that you need to act upon. And like Esther, you may very well be the missing piece to the puzzle. And it's when you place that piece on the table that the puzzle is complete. God uses you as a speaker, but make no mistake, he's the one that empowers. He's the one who gives you the words. He is the one who puts you in the king's palace. He is the vine to which you are attached and without which you would die. He is the one who sends. He is the one who gives you gifts and abilities. And unless he watches over the city, unless his blessing is upon you, unless he opens the doors, unless he empowers then your efforts will certainly be in vain. But when he does bless, when he does send, when he does empower, miraculous things happen. We're the glove, but he's the hand that moves the glove. We're the instrument, but God is the one who plays the instrument. And what a privilege it is to be sent and to be empowered for the task. And the challenge for us as watchmen is twofold. First, we must accept the task he sets before us with all humility, recognizing that he must work through us. And second, we must exercise that role with discipline and faithfulness. We must step out in it. I've seen too many people feeling the call of God, but who have never acted upon it. The question is today, are you ready to be the watchman that God uses to watch over the city? Are you ready to be the caregiver? Are you ready to be the evangelist? Are you ready to be the instrument? If you are willing, then God is able. (laughs) 